Welcome to the Persuasion Lab. This is Martin Medeiros, and after that block of interviews we did with salespeople, uh, job seekers, and hiring managers, I want to change it up a bit and talk about how to be more effective at rhetoric, at argumentation when you're trying to persuade, influence, and negotiate with people because we can all use better communication styles, communication styles that help us get what our needs are. When we get our needs met, we're much more likely to execute better in the workplace. So without further ado, I wanna talk about logical fallacies. I would love you to know what they are and to avoid them when you are negotiating, influencing, or persuading someone because it really puts the crosshairs on your argument and makes you ineffective at doing the work that you need to do, whether or not you're actually persuading or just day-to-day communication. So despite the constant encouragement from friends, clients, readers, newsletter subscribers, and podcast listeners uh, who want me to comment on current political events. I selfishly avoid it like the proverbial plague. Uh, nuance and sound bites don't go well together in our current media landscape, and it's kind of not what I teach. So as a compromise, I've decided to take a current event the literal plague of our time, and apply both sides of a negotiated data-driven argument to expose five common and avoidable logical fallacies in the process. The first one is ad hominem, ad hominem. I talk about this in my book, 161 Negotiation Tactics, which you should pick up. I encourage it. it's the I've written a lot of books. It's the book that people actually like to buy, which makes me happy. And ad hominem means at the person against the man, literally at Latin. So instead of advancing good and sound reasoning, ad hominem replaces the logical argumentation uh, argumentation with a personal attack to put the opponent on the emotional defensive. And you see this all the time. You see it in politics. You see it day to day. You see it around the Thanksgiving table. Uh, For example, you may be an epidemiologist, but you went to public school, which is ridiculous. I mean, that does, going to public school has nothing to do with undermining the credibility of someone who spent the majority of the year, year getting an advanced degree in epidemiology. It just makes no sense, and it's, it's made to put the person on the defensive. Uh, if you feel tempted to use a strategy, don't. Uh, it, it's worse than pull, punching below the belt because it's kind of punching to way below the belt into air. Uh, it's just, from a logical standpoint, it has no effect. It'll make you look stupid and petty. Uh, and if it's used against you, just call it out. So if this has been leveraged against you, ignore it and get on with the objective facts of the interaction, the persuasion, the negotiation, the influential statement you're trying to make. Uh, this is commonly 
observed in major debates, even from moderators trying to incite the debaters to get a little excitement in debates. I mean, I've attended many debates, uh, some on very dry uh, legal topics, and they would they sometimes need a little prod to make uh, something go, especially when it's a debate when the parties end up agreeing on everything. There's not much knowledge transfer. It's very, um, you know, it's a, it's a mutual admiration society. I've seen debates go that way too. So this is um, the result when this ad hominem happens is often more than not uh, awkwardness and an ongoing refusal to engage. Then people will stop talking. Uh, stick to the facts and what's relevant to the issue uh, at hand and of course encourage engagement the way to shut down engagement is to personally attack someone because at the end of the day and as I've stated previously people want to feel good if you can make them feel good and respected in an interaction when you're trying to persuade influence and negotiate your needs will more likely be met than not. The second logical fallacy I want to talk about is this straw man argument. So countering a straw man argument is like trying to find a key in a haystack when you're, you already have a spare key in your pocket to my way of thinking. It's superfluous and misses the point entirely. The intent of a straw man is to draw you away from your position to defend what's not your position, something easily knocked over like a straw man. Uh, it tosses out a position to the opponent that doesn't really hold, that the, the person saying it doesn't really hold to draw their focus away from the issue at hand. For example, in response to a mandated use of masks in public settings, you could say something like, um, uh, so you think I should suffocate? When, or when facing concerns about wearing a mask, you could alternatively say, so you want to be responsible for killing someone? Uh, these are two extreme, ridiculous arguments that both sides use all the time in the put a mask on to stop uh, viral load. Um, and the, and when, when you think about it, it's ridiculous. The straw man is, of course, nobody wants to suffocate or make anyone suffocate who is not a criminal. Uh, of course, nobody wants to kill someone if you're not a criminal. These are extreme, ridiculous arguments to uh, titillate or incite strong emotion and defensive reaction. And you'll find a little theme in logical fallacies. They put people on the defensive for ridiculous stuff. It doesn't deal with the objective facts. So straw men are weak and flawed. And this is the tactic. Uh, if you're tempted to use this tactic, try at your own risk. If you're working a deal, this can bring the negotiation to a screeching halt as the other side either tries to backpedal to defend themselves or decides that you're not worth doing business with. And in my circles, it's generally the latter. You know, if this tactic is used against you, uh, call it for what it is. Don't try to find the keys you already have in your pocket and restate what your position actually is. 
and double down on your position because this tactic is trying to divert or waylay you from what you really want to get. So I'm going to spring a little Latin on you. Uh, argumentum ad ignoratium. This is based on insufficient information. Uh, it argues your position is right because there's no support for the other side. Uh, in other words, you're arguing out of ignorance. Example one, no, science uh, no scientific study proves that mask wearing contains the virus. Therefore, masks don't work. Uh, example two is the contrapositive. No scientific study proves that mask wearing doesn't work. Therefore, masks work. And if you've read the actual studies uh, in this, a little bit of both those is the truth. If you want to mitigate or lessen risk, you probably want to wear a mask. If you want to eliminate the risk, a mask is not going to do it. So the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights in the U.S. Constitution blessedly ensures the right for everyone in the United States to speak up loud and proud about things they know nothing about, which allows for colorful holidays and political rhetoric of every color and shade, not to mention highly entertaining social media feeds. And if you've listened to me, social media can be a burning dumpster fire sometimes and it's fun to look at it and to see all the logical fallacies that come out but at the end of the day we're all ignorant of much more than we know and until we get the god gene figured out no human will possess the entire objective knowledge of the universe negotiation is about negotiating what you know now and let available objective evidence support or undermine your argument and then adapt. You know, it's, uh, you know, in, in political rhetoric, they say, oh, he's a flip-flopper. Well, if you're driving a bus off a cliff, I think you should flip-flop on your decision to drive straight and perhaps uh, turn the bus uh, or uh, turn the bus around. It's like, you know, with objective information, it's okay to adapt. So if you use this strategy, arguing out of ignorance, uh, call it what it is. Uh, you know what you know, and based on your knowledge at that day, uh, X, Y, and Z would make sense. Uh, don't say things like, hey, I don't know this, so why don't we just do it? Or I don't know this, so I can't make a decision on that. You can make an informed decision. We have to often go out there with incomplete knowledge. So if the strategy is used on you, again, call it what it is. You and the opposition only know what you know, and there's probably more research to be done. But given the facts at hand, here's what you're going to do. One of the third logical fallacies I want to talk about today is this idea of the false dichotomy, die meaning two. So this fallacy sets up two bad options, uh, both of which are false. Politicians, activists, journalists love to use extreme dualisms. For example, uh, you can either wear a mask or kill elderly folks, or 
you can either let me shop in your store without a mask or violate my civil rights like a fascist dictator. You hear all these things, extreme, and that's a false dichotomy. If, uh, you know, if you don't wear a mask, there's not a direct correlation that you're going to kill elderly folks. That's not a, that's extreme. It's a false dichotomy. Uh, you can, what, more accurate is, well, for vulnerable populations, if they come in contact with the virus that we do when we're speaking in closed rooms, uh, that may increase their risk of, of contracting the virus. But uh, in the other side, um, you know, the extreme here, uh, let me shop without a mask because you're violating my civil rights. First of all, private property. You can uh, regulate private property. Uh, the, the First Amendment and civil rights uh, generally apply to uh, public spaces. Uh, you can do a lot in private that would be illegal uh, if restricted in a public space. So th these are false arguments. Um, so the reality is that there are many options, considerations, and nuances in life. That's why this dichotomy, this dualism, is just to manipulate. This line of reasoning fails by limiting options and considerations based on objective evidence in favor of subjective comfort because it feels better. So, as a gross oversimplification, it also assumes people can't think for themselves and is very insulting and downputting to people that you... Uh, use this on and if they use it on you then they're basically saying you're stupid um, because if you take the bait it's you know kind of fool me once type of thing so if you're tempted to use this strategy ask yourself if you're dealing with children <laughs> if not uh, pull out the nuance and see what the full array of options look like and Present a couple of options. I also talk about when we're negotiating, influencing, persuasion, do not supply a, many options. You want a handful of options to not overwhelm because it's too much. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a uh, store to buy toothpaste and this wall of toothpaste is overwhelming. I can't decide and I get distracted and walk on something something else and walk out of the store because there's like 36 different brands types of toothpaste and i just want toothpaste um so you can overwhelm people with too many choices so when that's a little tangent segue into not segue but a tangent about options so if this strategy has been used on you Voice some other available choices and call out the nuance of the situation. And this is part of uh, the book, Getting to Yes, uh, Fisher and Uri. This is how the uh, uh, Harvard Project on Negotiating got started about this. Uh, one of the components is um, this exercise of generate um, options, creative options, brainstorming session um, type activity. So... The next uh, logical fallacy I'm going to talk about today is the slippery slope fallacy. So this is the darling of attorneys, economists, union leaders, and teenagers. <laughs> so this argument says that if you let one thing happen, it'll cascade all these events that'll lead to catastrophe. 
for example, if we don't wear masks all the time everywhere until the end of time, the virus will spread, mutate to untreatable virulence, and then we will be living in Stephen King's The Stand or Oryx or Crakey. And only several thousand humans will live. Or if we shut down the economy, the unemployed will riot. People will starve to death, shoot people for food and gas. The Thunderdome will be constructed. And reality to fully outfit our Mad Max hillscape will come. This is a slippery slope where uh, if one little thing will, will end up in this cascading things of events. And a lot, of, a lot has to happen. Uh, you know, many a slip twixt the cup and the lip. Uh, if you're tempted to use this strategy, check yourself. Uh, what are you afraid of? Why? Was this objective probability of the outcome or you are responding to fear? Come back to the conversation after you've sorted out some of the more objective, likely scenarios, the probable outcomes, not the possible ones. Yeah, the possible outcome is we all could die. That's always out there. Is it probable? Eh, not in the short term. If this strategy has been used on you, uh, have a list of great therapists for your opponent. No, just kidding. By the way, this podcast, there's no legal advice. There's no psychological advice. There's no medical advice. This is just my experience. So take a step back and name the fact that we simply cannot know uh, until the future has happened. So this slippery slope uh, should end. And that's what I have this week. I want to uh, kind of pepper some of the podcast with these logical fallacies and different rhetorical things uh, to help you be more effective and to call out when you're trying to persuade, influence, and negotiate. So the take home today Negotiate to the best of your ability by being yourself. Use truth. Issue the drama, please. Fallacies are drama. Um, you can learn how to negotiate like a boss by being yourself. You don't have to lie. You don't have to be that slick car salesman. You can actually be super effective. Uh, if you learn how to do it. And that's the message of the Persuasion Lab. That's what I teach. That's what's in my books. And please, act out a future of your design because we communicate our needs to the world using persuasion, influence, and negotiation and how effective we are at using those devices determines if we, in fact, get our needs met. This is Martin Medeiros in the Persuasion Lab. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for reading my stuff and buying my books. I am uh, very heartened, and thanks for subscribing to this podcast. Uh, we, we hit 500 people uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'm very grateful for all of you. Thank you.